Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Curtis Van Wallingham to the show. Curtis has been CEO of HydroStore since its inception and has led the company through technology development into commercial operations. Prior to HydroStore, Curtis was senior manager in Deloitte's corporate strategy consulting practice, where he advised and consulted for some of the top energy companies globally. He has also held positions at nuclear generator Bruce Power and wind developer Environmental Electric Company. Curtis, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Raj. Really pleased to be on with you this morning. Thanks for the opportunity. Curtis, I'm looking forward to dig into our conversation about HydroStore. But first of all, and I'm asking for a specific reason here, because we have many people that listen to the show that perhaps are on the brink or thinking about how to get involved specifically with climate tech. So I was going through your LinkedIn profile, and I would like for you to share the journey from being a procurement cost engineer at Celestica, which I know is a contract manufacturer, to the CEO of HydroStore. Sure. It, uh, it has been a long and windy road. Um, so I, was, I grew up in northern Ontario in, in Canada and was recruited to play varsity hockey and do engineering at the University of Toronto. They had an uh, internship program where after your third year, you would go and work for a year and then go back for your fourth year. And I did that at Celestica, as you mentioned, as a cost engineer. And upon graduating engineering um, and having that experience at Celestica, I kind of realized that I wanted to be in business more than doing engineering work. So I applied to an MBA program uh, that was kind of a combined with the engineering uh, school. I got accepted and got a scholarship for that. So I, I immediately went to do my MBA. I had another spell of one or two uh, interns in between, but effectively went right from engineering into the MBA program. And upon graduating from the MBA program, I joined Deloitte in their management consulting in the energy sector. And I spent nine years flying around the world, turning around um, refineries that were uh, not producing properly, doing business cases for new pipelines, post-merger integration of pulp and paper mills, that sort of thing. Uh, and it was great, but I you know, got to see the world, live in all different places around the world, but I really got sick of the traveling. Uh, and so I left Deloitte to join Bruce Power, which is a nuclear and wind generator here in Ontario, uh, doing business planning work for them. And it was uh, while I was at Bruce Power, and I'd be responsible for pulling together all the annual budgets and the capital investments, they changed a rule to be um, the dispatch onto the grid goes wind, then solar, then hydro, then nuclear. So when it would be windy out, we'd have to turn down the nuclear reactors to make room, and they weren't designed to do that. So it boosted the costs and the maintenance cost and hurt the life of the reactors. So I said, there's got to be a way to store this energy. Um, 
looked around, tried to build a pumped hydro plant, realized that there wasn't really cost-effective ways of storing lots of electricity outside of pumped hydro, which has very few sites. And I bumped into uh, someone that had filed a patent for a new way of doing compressed air. So I got to meet him and he just had a brand name for the company, Hydrostore, and filed a patent. And that was about it. And he was more of a technical guy, inventor. And I got to know him and I said, you know what, this has got some real merit to it. So I quit my job, put money in. Uh, He appointed me the CEO in 2010. And we were off to the races somewhat naively, I must say, uh, in the early days. Uh, and it's been a long 12-year journey uh, at Hydrostore since then. But that was kind of what brought me from, from cost engineering to being the CEO of a startup. So you took what I perhaps would call the scenic route. If there are other people, and I love this quote about um, not all who wander are lost. So um, if there are people that are listening that would be interested in getting involved with climate tech, but perhaps aren't in that area right now, what you know, one, two pieces of advice could you give them? You know, if you have the passion for it, life is probably is too short in my mind to not do it. I mean, what really spurred me to to want to take the plunge was my older brother had a his daughter Shay, my niece, and I remember growing up. My my grandfather was in World War II, and I remember always admiring the service that he put in for the country and everything, and thinking about you know that that must have been a really um, I don't know, really compelling thing to do, go serve for your country. And I just really respected that about him. And I got to thinking, you know, when Shay grows up, is she going to like look up to me because I was helping to oil and gas companies get their refinery production up a little bit? And and I, I thought, you know, climate change is my generation's big battle. And I really believe that. And I wanted to to try. I was passionate about it. I wanted to at least say that I gave it a shot. So if you have the passion, just make the plunge uh, would be my advice. And, um, you know, there's no shortage of opportunities in climate tech there. It touches every aspect of life and they're all it's a great place to make money as well as have a, a positive impact. And it's complicated. It's engineering, it's production, you know, energy systems, but it um, you figure it out. And it's all new to, to most people. Like I, when I got in, I was so naive about what it would take to build a business and the type of uh, solution that we were pulling together. But now I'm kind of the world expert in it because it was a new industry and no one else was doing this. And I've spent 12 years in it and since the industry kind of existed. Um, it's the same for all types of clean tech. So uh, I would just encourage people to go for it if you're passionate for it and you'll find a way and, and there's no shortage of opportunities. I really appreciate you sharing that story. You know, we both mentioned HydroStore and Solution. Can you share with the audience or give the audience an overview of HydroStore? And you mentioned you're the CEO, so we know your role, but what HydroStore actually does? Certainly. So we build long duration energy storage systems using our kind of proprietary invented way of doing it with compressed air. Uh, and the reason you need storage is as the grid electrify or as the grid goes to renewable sources, wind and solar, they're intermittent. And so if you have a day that's cloudy and not windy, um, you know, you couldn't produce electricity, you know, that clearly is not going to be reliable and acceptable. So if we want to get off fossil fuels, we have to find a way to firm up wind and solar. And that's what storage does. You soak up extra sun and wind when it's uh, very windy and sunny. And then when the sun goes down and there's no wind, you give it back. Uh, You lose a little bit due to loss of efficiency, 
But the idea is you can then use wind and solar as the dominant only source of electricity. So the way we do it is we only use air, rock, and water. Uh, and we do this much cheaper than lithium ion batteries. And when we build a system, it lasts for 100 years. So we uh, sink a shaft going down 2,000 feet underground. We then hollow out a rock uh, about the size of maybe a couple of basketball courts, just to give you kind of an order of magnitude, and then or a parking garage. And then we flood it with water. And then when you there's lots of wind and solar, we turn on an air compressor, which is used to move uh, natural gas down the pipelines. But we just suck in atmospheric air, pressurize it. When you pressurize it, it gets hot. So we then run it through a heat exchanger and pull that hot the heat out and store it in hot water at about 200 degrees C. We then send the air down into that rock cavern that was flooded with water. And as the air starts to fill the cavern, it displaces the water and lifts it up to the surface into a little pond. We took all the rock out of that hole underground and used a berm to make a pond. And so then you displace all that water out of the cavern into the pond. Your system's now fully charged. And when you need power, a valve opens, the weight of the water forces the pressurized air back up. It collects the heat again by going through that heat exchanger to, to heat up the air. And then it goes through an, a turbine, which is the same as a steam turbine, uh, just re-arrowed for air. Uh, and the air goes back to the atmosphere and the cavern floods back with water. So it's a hole in the rock, air, rock, water, uh, and it acts as a giant battery that, uh, you know, is a order of magnitude about the same scale as a gas plant. So every time we build a plant, uh, we're effectively shutting down a coal plant or a gas plant that, um, you know, is producing emissions. Now, I've watched the uh, video. It's very interesting. You drill two shafts, correct? We actually uh, use more than two. Uh, we will be, you to construct, you actually have one for people to get up and down, one for rock to come up, and then you have another one for ventilation, as well as kind of a safety emergency uh, shaft. So uh, there, there's about four shafts during construction. Um, and those are all about two meter or eight foot diameter. Uh, but then I think maybe what you're referring to is then there's the airline, which pushes and pulls the air up and back. That's only a 12 inch airline. And that's, that is constructed separately. So you've got the construction shafts that are also used for the water to go up and back. And then you've got the airlines, uh, which are much smaller diameter. Um, and those go in through the top of the cavern. Now, when I was watching the video, and this could be just the video itself, it looked like there was a almost a con like a container for the air. Is there a container, or you just use natural surroundings? Yeah, we just use the hole in the rock. Yeah, you're right. It is kind of awkward looking at it on the video because you're you're trying to show that there's just the hole in the rock, uh, mm -hmm. but not show the whole rock. So, um, but yeah, it's all it is 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 just the rock itself. That is the container down there, and then just gravity pushes the water down when you need the air? That's right. It's just the weight of that water because we've effectively, we're using air to lift water 600 meters up or 2,000 feet up. And then when you open the valve, it's kind of 2,000 feet of waterhead sitting on pressurizing that air that forces the air to come shooting back out to drive that turbine. So in explaining it to my children last night, I drew a very, very coarse parallel by the example I used was, you know, imagine when you blow up a balloon, 
you have this air trapped in there. And then, you know, when you let it go, you can blow your hair. So the energy is used for something else, essentially. Very good. Very apropos uh, analogy. Now, the reason like we use that water head I was describing, that has a whole bunch of technical benefits, you know, it reduces the amount of space that you have, it keeps it at a constant pressure. And then the heat, you need that because when the air expands, any moisture in it would freeze up around the turbine. So you get into a whole bunch of technical engineering uh, challenges, but the fundamental basic principle is exactly how you described it, just the air coming out of the balloon that could spin a fan. Now, the video also shows that your plant is actually connected to a potentially a renewable source, so solar or wind, is that correct? Yeah, we can take any electricity in um, and we produce electricity when we discharge. Uh, but the idea is, in the business case, it really requires you to be in and around lots of renewables because uh, price the price variability is uh, very dramatic. So at certain times, prices go to zero because there's so much wind and solar. That's when we charge up. And then when there's no wind and sun, prices spike. That's when we discharge. And that arbitrage of that peak and off peak um, is really a big portion of the business case that pays for these plants to uh, be commercial enterprises. So uh, we could charge off of gas or coal electricity, but those don't have that variability in price. When you turn them on, they have one set price. Um, and so it does make sense with the wind and solar, but um, you know, more from the business perspective than a technical requirement. Now, depending on where the plant is located, is there an issue with the water evaporating? No, uh, oddly enough, um, we get that a lot because you know water is in scarce supply, and that's one of the real issues with pumped hydro is they use like twenty five times as much water as us uh, for the same capacity. So we use very little water. Uh, our our footprint is very small compared to a pumped hydro plant. Uh, but when you compress air. Uh, you're pulling atmospheric air, and you, when you compress it, you knock out moisture that is in that air. And we use so much air to pressurize, to send underground, that we knock out a lot of water that makes up for the evaporative losses uh, from the pond. So it turns out that we're basically in balance. In some places, we actually produce a little bit of water. In others, there's a very tiny bit of makeup that you just get from your you know, municipal water supply, but it's, you know, very marginal. Uh, and the systems are generally in balance from taking moisture out of the air and then the evaporative from the pond. Now, you mentioned the size underground being two basketball courts, parking garage. What's the footprint above ground? Uh, so we would, you know, it obviously depends on the size of the system. Uh, but to give you a rough order of magnitude, uh, for a 500 megawatt plant, that can discharge power for about 10 hours. So that's, you know, equivalent to one of these gas peaker plants. We would fit that everything, subsurface and surface, including parking lots, noise buffers, the pond, everything, in about 40 or 50 acres uh, would be the total aerial footprint of a facility of that size, which is slightly larger than a, a gas plant. And it would be about the same size if you wanted to fill with that many batteries to have that much capacity. It would be a very similar scale and, and about 120th the scale of a pumped hydro plant. So is there an opportunity or a business model to work with farmers as a revenue model? Um, you know, the, the thing with farmers is, is we, we would take up 
50 acres of their land that they would otherwise farm with. Um, and so I don't know there, we, we do look at wind and solar farms though, because um, if you look at a wind farm, they have quite a bit of space between the turbines. We could easily put our system just between the rows of the turbines, and then we're co-located with the wind, uh, providing better use of that land. And similar with solar, uh, we can even put solar panels on top of our uh, water reservoir uh, and either have them floating or, or on a, a structure above that to kind of have dual use for that uh, that land. So we are looking at, at some of those opportunities. And really what drives us to look at those is, is more maximizing the use of the interconnection to the grid. Uh, that's really going to be the bottleneck as we try to decarbonize the grids. Uh, getting access to those those power wires, uh, they're very congested and they're full and they're very hard to build new ones because of NIMBYism and everything else. Uh, so getting access to the grid is what's going to slow down and set the pace for the energy transition. And if we can make double use of existing interconnection points, wind and solar, uh, that can really speed up um, and minimize the cost of helping to transition to renewables. How long does it take to build one of these plants? About three years. And do you have any operating right now? We have two small plants operating. Uh, these were kind of demonstration facilities. One was uh, kind of pure science R&D, if you would. Uh, and that's on Toronto Island. We did that with Toronto Hydro. Uh, we put that into service in 2015. And then we got a commercial facility contracted to the IESO in the town of Goderich. Uh, and that's been running since 2019. And now and we've uh, moved on to much bigger facilities. And we have contracted a facility in Australia as well as one in California. And now are, are looking to replicate that success and go build dozens more all around the world. Well, speaking of success, I don't want to overshadow the fact that, or I don't want to leave the fact out that you recently received a $250 million investment from Goldman Sachs, I believe. Is that correct? That's right. Goldman Sachs, as well as the Canadian Pension Plan. I'm really excited to have them as investors and to have this amount of capital to help us grow and have the impact that we want to have. Uh, because through the early years of HydroStore, it was always underfunded, you know, really um, me, my friends and family uh, putting in money. Uh, angel investors, and it was kind of every six months we had to raise little bits of money to to show what it could do. Uh, and now with investors of that caliber and the quantum of funds and trust they put in us, uh, really puts us into a new a new league altogether. So a twelve year overnight success. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so you mentioned Australia. You mentioned California. Where else are you seeing interest from? Um, you know, when, when I first started in HydroStore, no one was really buying long duration storage because there wasn't enough wind and solar. And then storage started with just needing 15 minutes and then it turned to an hour and then it was two hours, then four hours. Now it's eight, 10, 12 hours and getting longer and it's opening up more and more markets. So when we first made our bets in California and Australia, it was because those were the leading markets and the only ones that we could see a pathway to contracting. Now it is almost everywhere. We're in an Afri Central African countries. All of Europe is pretty much opened up as they're trying to get off Russian gas. India is consistently running RFPs and, and awarding contracts for storage. 
China, Japan, uh, almost every market in the United States, Ontario here and Alberta have big storage programs. Uh, so there is a Chile where we're active in Chile now. So it really is going uh, going global. Uh, and it as as grids go to renewables, you must have storage. Like it's it's just a you know once you get to 10, 20, 30 percent renewables, you then have to start buying this. And almost all the grids, because of how low cost wind and solar are, they're all getting into the game now. It's just uh, at slightly different paces with slightly different structures in each market, but it is uh, very much a global opportunity. What's the um, sweet spot for storage right now from a time perspective? It is probably in that kind of six to eight hour mark. Uh, And the reason is, uh, if you think about a 24 hour day, um, you have peak, when when are the prices the most? It tends to be a kind of six to eight hours. And then when are prices the least tends to be overnight when people are sleeping and they're not using that much electricity. And so you've got, uh, but because you have round trip efficiency losses, if you're discharging for six or eight hours, you probably need 10 or 11 hours to charge up because you're not perfectly efficient. Um, You're already using 17, 18 hours in the day. Uh, The rest of the hours are when prices aren't compelling you to charge or compelling you to discharge. Uh, they're kind of the average price, uh, if you would. So that seems to be where it's gravitating to. Uh, but as renewables keep getting a higher percentage, that will extend. There will be the need for 20, 24-hour storage for those couple of days in a row. Even if it only happens a few times a year, uh, there will be times when you don't have wind and solar for you know a few days in a row, and you need something there to backstop it. And how does the price of your storage compare to traditional storage? Uh, so we're um, a little bit cheaper than pumped hydro. Um, the, you know, there's many different metrics that we kind of use. Um, but if you look at it on the, the cost per kilowatt hour of energy storage capacity that you have, so the cost of a battery that can store one kilowatt hour, you know, us and pumped hydro, they're probably around 250 $200 a kilowatt hour. We're a little bit less than that. Uh, a lithium ion battery is about 300, 350. Uh, so we're quite a bit cheaper than lithium ion. But more importantly, uh, us and pumped hydro, once you build it, it's a hundred year asset that never degrades. And the batteries kind of uh, peter out after 10 years, as you would know from using your phone over the years. Uh, and so it's a combination of us having a lower cost to build per unit and a much longer life, that that gives us the big advantage that we have over over lithium-ion. Now, you mentioned several opportunities. With opportunities come challenges. What kind of challenges are you experiencing right now? Uh, inflation is a, is a big one, just because not that, you know, inflation is hitting everything and it's hitting electricity prices, so it's all going to come out in the wash. It, it's just the challenge of not knowing what it's going to be because we got to bid for contracts and then it takes you you know, a year to finalize all the engineering and getting the money, and then it takes you three years to build. You know, if if prices go up 8% a year over a four-year period, you know, that's a, a big difference uh, than having one 2% inflation. So just not knowing where the inflation is going to go uh, makes planning and pricing very difficult. The other is talent. It's really tough to find people and, and the 
the cost to get people is really going up and, and people deserve it. So no, no complaints paying a, a high salary for people that drive a lot of value, but uh, really is there's a quite a war for talent out there. And then the last bit um, is more around getting access to the grid, that interconnection that I mentioned earlier. It's really tough to come by. Like in California, they're going to go two years without allocating any new access to the grid uh, because it's so bottlenecked. And that's just, you know, it's limiting the pace that we can uh, get off of coal and gas because they just don't have enough wires and interconnection points. Uh, and maybe the last one is just regulatory. Um, you know, power markets are regulated. There's rules and the rules are very conservative and they take a while to change. As we're moving from centralized coal, gas, nuclear to distributed renewables and storage, there's a lot of subtle rule changes that people are very cautious about changing for unintended side you know, impacts. Uh, and there's a lot of invested interests that don't want to change the rules because they, they were making good money the way the old way. Uh, and so getting those regulations changed, getting access to the grid, and then war for talent and uh, just inflation and how you bid on your contracts without clarity on inflation. Those are some of the things that kind of keep me up at night. Uh, in addition to how do you spend $250 million and grow into all these countries around the world? What's the the, the right pace to grow and what's the right uh, target markets and um, that sort of thing. So that's what I, I spend my days thinking about. You know, I can't imagine what the inflation issue must be like, especially globally. I speak to a lot of trades people here locally in Dallas, and they're telling me some of the cost of goods change on a daily, if not an hourly basis. Yeah, we've been so blessed in North America to have stable inflation for so long, um, you you really you know we're getting a glimpse as to the havoc it can wreak on all different businesses, and and it, it really is a problem. There's a there's a good reason our central banks focus on keeping it low and stable, um, and I hope they can get uh, get the cat back in the box here and get us back to that world, uh, even if they've got to drive rates considerably higher because it's uh, it really is a problem. Uh, so hopefully this is. Um, transient as the, I think that the catchword was, <laughs> I don't think it's anywhere near as transient as people hoped it was at the beginning, but, uh, hopefully they can get it put back in a box here soon, because if this, uh, this stays for another year or two, uh, it's going to cause real, real problems for a lot of businesses and the economy in general. Yes. We've got a few perfect storms brewing between the resurgence of COVID supply chain and inflation. I'm not sure how I don't envy their job. No, exactly. Throw a couple of wars in there as well, and some right. uh, arguably a cold war with China. It's a yeah, a real mess. Interesting time. So you've been with HydroStore about twelve years now. What are some of the most valuable lessons you've learned about yourself in your journey? I think uh, perseverance is probably the number one. Uh, just how hard it's been. There's been many times I've had to mortgage my home to get through payroll. And just a lot of, you know, it's really difficult to bring new infrastructure through that valley of death, they call it, when you're trying to start up a company. You know, these venture capitalists, they want to see you give you money. You make lots of uh, a big multiple on that and they can cash out in five years. Whereas with us, we're, you know, 12 years in and, and we've got these big contracts now, but it's going to be a number of, of years before we've constructed those first big plants. And so it's just not really a fit for the venture capital model. So it's been 
really trying um, and the ability to stick with it. There were so many opportunities to just give up and throw in the towel. But when you do that, you know, I kind of, I make the analogy of, of Hydrostore or a startup is like a patient on life support. And when you look away and you say, I've got enough and the patient <laughs> dies, there's no bringing it back. It's done. And so you've got to be watching that patient. And for 12 years, despite everything happening in your personal life and everything else, you've had to keep the patient alive. Come anything. Uh, and, you know, there was a time when my son was born, had a very challenging birth, was in the ICU for weeks while my wife was also in the hospital and my company was running out of money and I'm refinancing my home and trying to, and then sure enough, we find an investor and it works out. My wife's good and my son comes through uh, and is healthy. And, you know, just you get multiple times like that. Like we only had about three or four weeks of cash in the bank when COVID hit and all the investors said, well, we don't know what the world's like. We're not investing. And so again, you know, refinance things, find a way through. And it's just, uh, there's a lot of times. And, and really what pushed that perseverance is, is one, the, the belief in what we're doing, the want to have the impact and just truly believe that our solution uh, was a compelling option out there. Secondly, is just not wanting to let people down. I've been, I've recruited in now 300, over 300 million of, of investor dollars. They all believed in me and gave that to me and I don't want to let them down. And we're at 30, 40 staff that all quit very good paying jobs to come join. And the thought of having to let all those investors down, all the staff down and kind of give up on having the impact just keeps you in the fight. And despite it being so painful to your health and your mental health and everything else, you know, just kind of keep leaning on those things, leaning on family. And sure enough, you come through the other side and you get backed by Goldman Sachs and CPP and you start winning billions of dollars in contracts. And it, it's humbling and it, it really makes you glad that you stuck through those really tough times. You know, Curtis, we use words like perseverance, tenacity, and I feel like we don't understand the gravity of these words. It's very easy to say the word perseverance, but where does that come from? Where does your, per like, if you were to put your finger on something and say, my perseverance comes from here, what would that be? You know, I'm not too sure, to be honest with you. I've always been a little bit of a stubborn guy, whereas if I'm, you know, working on a crossword puzzle, you know, I'll stay up all night long until I get it done kind of thing. Uh, but it, it just, I think, came back to the, why am I doing this? I'm wanting to be able to look my niece in the eye and say, I gave it a good shot. And then and I, also, I think, you know, the way I was raised and I, I grew up in a very small town in Northern Ontario, and it's just you know, not, not letting people down. Like you, you, you took money from an investor, you sold someone on the opportunity. So they quit their job to come join you. And you just, you just keep going back to, you know, they trusted in me. Um, you know, why am I giving up now? Why, why is this the end of the road? Is there not another way through this? Uh, because I just didn't want to let those people down. And I'm, I'm stubborn enough to put my health second to just keep battling at it. Uh, and sure enough, you know, with enough creativity and enough people believing in you and supporting you, you, you find a way out. And sometimes I don't know how we did in a number of the, the ways that we came through, but, um, yeah, it was just really stick with it. It sounds like a phenomenal journey. Now, let's fast forward into the future. It's 2030, so about eight years from now. 
Pick your favorite publication, Fast Company, Forbes, Fortune, Wall Street Journal. If they were to write a headline or a short paragraph about Hydro Store, what would you like it to read? I would like it to read um, that we're, we materially changed energy flows worldwide. Like I, you know, I, I truly believe that we have to get off fossil fuels and it's not going to be overnight, but we got to start trending it down. And the grid, uh, if we're going to get off fossil fuels, it means take all your cars off of internal combustion and move them to the grid to be electric. That means the grid has to double and triple in size. And by the way, it's 70% thermal right now or fossil fuel. So we got to shut all that down and we got to turn it all to wind and solar and storage. And so you've got to, you know, replace 70% of what you got today and then triple it in size. Um, that is a mat trillions and trillions of dollars. And we have a solution that can play a meaningful role, have a couple percent, five percent impact on doing that. Um, if if we can show in the next 10 years, eight years, that we've built five or six of these big plants, like I say, every time we build one, we shut down a coal plant and we contract for 10 or 20 more, that will register on a global perspective that you're you're starting to change energy flows, you're making that happen. Um, because our and because our supply chain is the oil and gas supply chain, every component we use, these caverns they use to store hydrocarbons seasonally. There's no reason we can build a hundred of these all at the same time in any continent around the world. Uh, and so I'd like to be able to show that we're doing that, and then we're really changing the energy flows and having a real impact on climate change. Uh, and it, you know, it, climate change is going to require every nook and cranny of our lives and our economy to change, uh, but that we would have a meaningful impact uh, on that, uh, or at least are well on our way to showing how we could do that. Uh, that's, that's what I'd like to see. Well, Kurt, it sounds like a beautiful vision, and I'm sure both your grandfather and your niece, Shay, would be extremely proud of you. Well, I appreciate it. It's, uh, like I say, it's been a lot of a lot of hard work. A lot of people believing in us, me and the team, uh, and a lot of lucky breaks along the way as well. But um, you know, it is rewarding uh, and have opportunities to reflect, uh, like I am doing with you today here, Raj. It's, uh, it really means a lot, and it's um, like I say, humbling and, and a really rewarding experience. So again, going back to your earlier comment, anyone thinking about getting out there, it is worth it. It's tough. It's hard work, but it, it really adds meaning and. You're only on this life uh, for so long. So uh, best to have an impact and do something that you're passionate about. Well, Curtis, I think ending with doing something you're passionate about would be perfect. Thank you again for your time today. And I look forward to your continued success. Excellent. Well, thank you, Raj. Really enjoyed it and appreciate the opportunity here. Thank you have so a much. Have great day. You too. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.